Yes, he did. You know, we trained together in the Olympic Games. Yes. And this big lug, he just gave me all the confidence in the world. After an unforgettable celluloid cocktail, we've got us a little number that in the past has been known to cause chimps to impersonate Hitler, Greek prostitutes to beat their pimps with a dildo, and once made Oliver Reed ignore all dystopian birth control regulations. Agitating the shaker, I'm Jim Hall. Sticking in a tissue paper parasol, I'm Phil Walsh, pouring you out a tall glass of Midnight Video 16. Tonight, Eight Man vs Ubermensch, Vice Muller tackles the Reich in Toys and Triumphs. When life in a Greek brothel doesn't exactly turn out to be a barrel of laughs, two heroines get nasty in 2004's Hardcore. And in a nightmare future, broody would-be parents can either make do with a life-size doll or get slowly suffocated under a plastic dome. What will Sean Connery's wife and Charlie Chaplin's daughter choose in ZPG? Welcome to a particularly confused midnight video. Uh, we, <laughs> we tend to record um, at the offices where I work at London Bridge, but usually at a weekend. But uh, for various reasons, because we've got packed diaries over the next few weeks, we're recording when I've just finished work. So uh, forgive me if I sound muddled. I don't know what day it is now. Do you know what day it is, Phil? It's Tuesday. It is. You've just had your steak and kidney pudding from... Uh, the local fizz pit. Yeah, and a pint of Stonehenge for £1.50. Yeah, the barmaid was very interested in your solstice stories. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but something we were discussing over your pudding was uh, with with Estelle and Zebaway. Mm. You got the flat to yourself, and you're planning on doing what any bachelor, well, not bachelor. <laughs> you're planning on doing what any uh, what any man with a house to himself would do. You're going to spend three solid days not sleeping but watching films in alphabetical order. Yeah, I am, yeah. It's something I thought up today whilst I was at work. And I thought, I've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off, but I also need to edit one of the shows. So that's, you know, half a day or whatever. So what can I do with the rest that's of these priority days? That's low priority for you. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's post. Um, yeah, so I thought, why not watch the alphabet of an alphabet of films? Like only in seventy-two hours, I've given myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's reasonable. Even though you got four days to do it in. Yeah, well, I need. There's going to be a bit of sleep and well, editing and kettle brewing. <laughs> yeah, there's like a little bit in between. Kettle boiling, sorry. Kettle brewing, coffee yeah. brewing, and coffee. kettle boiling. Yeah, I don't know if I'm definitely going to do it. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more crazy uh, it the sounds. Folly of youth. Because <laughs> yeah, you were you were saying you recorded the other day the Blood Beast Terror off one of the channels and uh, you're not really sure what you're letting yourself in for with that uh, do you know what it is at all? I know of it yeah. You know what the premise is? Oh no I don't know the premise. Right. Okay. I know it name because of Mumsy Nanny Sunny. Oh yeah Vanessa, Vanessa Howard. Howard's in it. Also I think I might be wrong Roy Hood the comedian I think oh, he's really? a comedy morgue attendant ah. if I remember correctly it's been a while since I've seen that but uh no, I'd be very curious. I can't say I envy you, but you know, it's um, <laughs> we'll see. It, it's going to be very. Uh, do edit the show before you do that, rather than <laughs> after you've watched. Uh, no, it won't be half as much. Twenty-six movie. Oh well, to, to mark that, I'm going to do something new myself. This is a new one for me—a Carlsberg Special Brew, which is uh, 
notorious, and as Phil just pointed out, the can says best shared, well chilled. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that, it's fairly notorious for its content. I don't want to sound macho about this. I'm genuinely curious, and uh, like I say, we've I've already been in the office all day, so I need something to just. Ah. Yeah, well, how about from from a Neanderthal to an ape man then? Okay, let me just open the uh, and give a live response to this because you say it's quite treacly. Okay, here we go. Oh. <laughs> right, I'm ready for some Tarzan now, I think. <laughs> Tarzan, no best for a boy. Tarzan, mother now! By 1943, Johnny Weissmuller already had six Tarzans under his loincloth, but Tarzan Triumphs marked several changes to the popular franchise, including a shift of studios from MGM to RKO and the departure of pregnant Maureen O'Sullivan, leaving the film Janeless. Instead, Francis Gifford stars as Zandra from the lost jungle city Palandria, whose inhabitants find themselves in trouble when they're overrun by Nazis. And just what will it take to get Tarzan, Boy and Cheetah involved? How's that one? I hope the cleaners don't come in. <laughs> Try and find out what's going on there. I thought wow, that was a very was a good rendition. Yes, it was uh, quite something. Much better than the ones in this film. Not happy with them? No, I thought they were terrible. Slipshod production? Just very lacklustre, you know. I, I remember Weissmuller pumping his chest out like a proud pigeon and really laying it down with the old coal. <laughs> Have you told Have you told child services about this? Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't need to know yet. Oh man, yeah, Tarzan. I'm very pleased to be reviewing some Tarzan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, but oh boy, Tarzan and the Nazis. Yeah, it's good. It's a good. Um, it's a good premise for a film. I think you know to check a bunch of Nazis in the jungle against the ape. Well. It's not subtle, is it? Because they do keep throwing in that whole thing where the the, the Nazi leader. I mean, basically, I don't think you need the plot explained to you. But uh, Tarzan is uh, they they go out of their way to call him an isolationist a few times, don't they? Yeah. He really wants to be left on his own. Um, he's Janeless in this, although he meets this amazing girl from the the local um, the local lost city. Every <laughs> every jungle has one. Um, and they don't need one. <laughs> Well, yeah, because the very start of the film is boy Johnny Sheffield getting into a spot of bother, getting rescued by this uh, jungle princess, Zandra. And uh, when Tarzan comes aboard, he just shakes her hand and says, well, I'll thank you, but I don't want to hang around with you. Yeah. Not verbatim, but that was the gist yeah. of it. He says, oh, I'm going to be left on my own. Because throughout it, he doesn't want to get involved in the uh, in the struggle against the Nazis. In fact, he has to have the whole thing, understandably, <laughs> explained to him. Um, throughout it, the film seems really keen to push that Nazi philosophy. I mean, not on behalf of the Nazis, but so, yeah, they're not just they're the <laughs> baddies. What they're about? <laughs> yeah. Let me just explain the Nazis. Yeah. To you. Um, rather than just they're the villains, they they do make an effort to try and explain. Yeah, they do. They do. What's so uh, insidious about their uh, philosophy? Um, so yeah, your setup here is some Nazis fly over in Big Iron Bird. Um, some uh, parachuting action, but one one guy gets stuck with. Um, oh yeah, Crispin J Glover. I beg your pardon. He looks like Crispin J Glover. That hadn't occurred to me. Oh, he looks really like him. Yeah. I wrote it down. And I was like, oh my <laughs> god, it's Marty McFly. The last of the, <laughs> the Nazi. Marty McFly. Uh, the last of the Nazi paratroopers, if that's the right phrase to use for them. Um, sounds like a kitchen sink uh, the Nazi film. Paratrooper. <laughs> um, 
winds up with a bit of trouble with his chute, but uh, Tarzan's good enough to take him on board. Cheetah steals a component from his radio, which brings us to the finest performance in the film. Yeah, Cheetah's... Cheetah's amazing. Yeah. No, I'm not saying this sarcastically. I was really knocked out by how good Cheetah is and really livened up the movie. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's some nifty editing going on. Well, not nifty, but there's editing in helping... Helping the his right performance, shots. yeah, or her performance. My, yeah, I never realised Cheetah's meant to be female. Yeah, no, no, until they said she, I was like, oh right. Yeah, that's some way point. into the film. <laughs> yeah, that's when Cheetah's obeyed a verbal command, quite a complex one, and gone off to retrieve a dagger, come back and cut Tarzan's bonds and released him from a, a pillar. <laughs> Cheetah's great, um, but that's what I remember from my childhood was like laughing at Cheetah all the time. You know the. The madcapness of it, because uh, yeah, Weiss Muller, yeah, he does well as Tarzan, but he's, he's not no a laugh cheater. a minute. No, well, no, I mean, is it? I I didn't realize quite what a grim figure Tarzan is. I, yeah. I quite kind of respected him because uh, you'd imagine a lot of these films. Uh, not that I'm that familiar with them, but there's a whole slew of not American heroes, then popular heroes being drafted in to fight the war in pop culture. So you got Sherlock Holmes suddenly shifts from. Victorian London to going off to Washington in the 40s, you know. Um, Superman, obviously, in comics and things. Um, but yeah, I thought Tarzan versus the Nazis would be straight in, but the whole thing is kind of him. It's almost like a lot of later films, like Straw Dogs or something, <laughs> probably not deliberately. Um, but yeah, he doesn't want to get involved at all in this struggle. But no, it's he not ends up being blackmailed by his uh, son using cut, um, using. Um, um, Using cuisine, uh, and also dressing up, Zandra dressing as up Jay. as his lost lover, yeah, um, <laughs> which is quite weird. I mean, I'm not sure if this was a metaphor for trying to get America as a whole involved in in the Second World War, but mm. yeah, maybe that's what they needed to do as um, someone to come along dressed as um, your ex girlfriend <laughs> and cook a big meal for you, and um, there you go. <laughs> But he wasn't taken in immediately, was he? No, he's a wily old bird, Tarzan. He knows when someone's trying to pull the loincloth over his eyes. (laughs) I think a disappointment for me with this is uh, I'm so used to... I mean, I really love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm less keen on the other Indiana Jones, but I know that idea of Spielberg and Lucas trying to get the excitement of um, film serials and things that they watched as kids. And this, probably more than anything else I've seen, looks kind of like it should be a template for Indiana Jones because he's got Nazis in the jungle um, with this lost city. And the fact that it doesn't quite have enough to it, you know, it just... Because Tarzan's not involved in most of the action here. A great deal of it is the Nazis, they've gone to this lost city because there's some um, deposits there that are... Oil and tin. tin. Oil, yeah. Mm. The the two things that are going to win the war for them. Um... And yeah, it's an everyday story of naive, not naive jungle folk, they're quite sophisticated, but they're very good natured and let the Nazis um, come in and then get taken advantage of immediately. <laughs> did you like the um, Did you like the ruler of the city? Uh, he With was his mane of hair and he looked... Um, he had his like a English, <laughs> a very posh upper class in English accent. But he's got a peculiar little backstory where he says, oh yes, our ancestors were from what you call civilization, but then, you know, we came out here and Oh, that's the thing. You speak remarkably good English. Yeah. And, uh, it's the only thing he brought back from his learning. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a bit of a backhanded insult, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. 
Yeah, there were kind of lost city archetypes, if there's such a thing, you know. Um, they were just there to flesh out the Nazi plot, basically, weren't mm. they? And um, show how evil and powerful or power-hungry the Nazis are against their fellow humans. Well, that was, um, again, with the Nazis, you've got this thing going on where um, their philosophy is being great. So um, you have got the leader of them who's means business but you've got any number of kind of real goons haven't you uh, the sergeant is he the one who always wants a rest yeah, like, oh, yeah. Oh, you, you know. he has a weird voice like a hair lips um, not hair <laughs> lips hair flick is it in uh, Allo Allo her flicks the Gestapo guy. Yeah, not the, the, the sidekick with the oh, round glasses. Oh, yeah. He's not his sidekick, is it? It's the. You mean the Sam other Kelly? Um, yeah, I can't the remember. The one who talks like that? Yes. <laughs> Thankfully, I can't remember his name. Yeah, World War Two sitcom, a lower low, which I remember Clive James said is only offensive if you have a memory or a sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> Has this made you keen to watch maybe some Weissmuller free of the Nazis? Yeah, I'd like to go back and watch the early ones. Um, probably less of an agenda on the writers and. Uh, yeah, I don't think if later ones took on the Iron Curtain. Producers. Yeah. <laughs> Surely they should have a Tarzan in the in Vietnam. That would be great. That's a really good idea. <laughs> could, uh... Saigon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of almost regret choosing this one because I did in, in preparation for this I did watch Tarzan the Ape Man which was um, I'm reluctant to say a more serious movie but it sort of it, it, yeah it didn't have the agenda and Weissmuller even though Weissmuller looks good in this he's in really fantastic shape in that first one but also um, yeah uh, those were done by MGM this is RKO which is a studio even though it's famous for King Kong and um, Citizen Kane largely didn't have huge amount of uh, hits it wasn't regarded as one of the major studios no. and this does look I don't know I, I find it quite I think because I have nostalgia for watching them as a kid there's, um, uh, there's something quite charming about the fact that it's mostly studio bound all the jungle stuff with some really quite obviously inserted stock footage yeah the stock footage is amazing really <laughs> ugly monkeys oh the proboscis monkeys yes. with the huge yeah. noses yeah, yeah. And then you've got uh, also like the flamingo. The flamingos yeah. attack the, the the Nazi plane, don't they? Yeah, the that's very early on. By the way, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not yeah. That's not a big spoiler. <laughs> no, man, I'm glad you've reminded me of that. There's so much Jungle Strikes Back stuff in this, isn't <laughs> yeah. there? Because it's quite a light, fun movie. I mean, all right, you can't put yourself in the position of someone watching it in the 40s when the war was was on. Mm. Um, but when it gets going. It really gets going, doesn't it? Well, it that's scissor eaten by cannibal fish, as Tarzan calls yeah. them. What was it? Is the one swinging on a vine who just gets sort of consumed by it? They tend to cut no, away. No, they both go in after him, yeah. not realizing he's swung across the bank on a vine. Mm. And then, yeah, the sergeant run, runs back out and like, whoa, watching his men being eaten. Yeah, it's like nature versus Nazism, isn't yeah, it? Like Werner Herzog's Tarzan <laughs> yes. versus the Nazis. Well, he remade uh, Bad Lieutenant. Maybe this is the film for him to go back into. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Nicolas Cage <laughs> in his. Um, he needs a loincloth. Well, he lost out on he the wrestler, so this could be a good He needs a loin wig as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you suggesting? <laughs> um, Tarzan eventually does get involved, and this is kind of the 
most amazing thing about the film. It gets really violent towards the end, doesn't it? it? I, I was amazed. Everyone's was joining in the slaughter. Well, yeah. I'm not sure how much blood you well, see. Well, no, but no. you'd certainly see um, Nazis again. I think the first Nazis either killed by those uh, fish or by an elephant. Yes, that's right. Oh God, it gets you know pushed over. Animated, I think his corpse is animated. It is, it yeah, flying off the cliff. Um, but you know things that you just wouldn't wouldn't be considered now for a film, which is boy. Um, Johnny Sheffield who's meant to be like 12 or something is he with a gun with a handgun which you know I don't care if it's a spoiler he uses that and it's not really a big issue uh, it's no like, it doesn't ties in the sort of like he almost like turns to him and winks or something he's like um, I, I don't know about that but certainly that's that's a good scene earlier on when the Nazis this, this is what gets Tarzan involved is that boy's been taken off by the Nazis and sort of beaten around a bit um Although that scene's kind of well done because they put the camera from Johnny Sheffield's height, so he's looking up at the Nazi mm. who's slapping him about, which kind of seems an obvious thing. But it's you know these were quite production line movies. I think that was quite a sort of and then, and then it touch. cuts usually to Cheetah going absolutely apeshit, like <laughs> not quite literally. No, is, um, but he's he, that was I found that ever so slightly disturbing how yeah, mad and agitated he was. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Not in the way that when the monkeys threw whatever it was at his head, was it? It was kind of some fruit or something. Oh, yeah. But he just, she, sorry, she, isn't it, Cheetah? Just sits there looking a bit nonplussed with this uh, sort of licking goo all over her head. Um, but yeah, even Cheetah gets in on the action. Cheetah's manning a gun at one point, and I don't think uh, it's a bloodless, you know, it's, it's not like a goofy comedy scene, is it? It's like no. Cheetah's had enough now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> She's going to join in all the slaughter the as well. The straw that broke the it's chimps It's remarkably back. dark, that last kind of 15 minutes. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to pick um, pick holes in how the, um, the the inhabitants of this remote jungle city, when they're handed a gun, know that they pull triggers and things, you know, yeah. rather than using it as a club. But um, yeah, I suppose it was a call to arms, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it really was, yeah. So yeah, I am... I am glad we've covered this because yeah, it was a choice of this or Sherlock Holmes versus the Nazis, which happened several times. And I think there because there have been so many other sort of film takes of Sherlock Holmes, there's probably a few other oddities we can find. Yeah. Um, hopefully, there's a couple I've got in mind particularly. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anything, this I've got to say, the film in itself, I didn't think was that great. Um, I mean, it's okay. It, it's worth watching, but I just think there are probably much better. It, if anything, it's made me want to go and watch some of the others and probably the earlier ones. Yeah, it spurred me on too. Um, yeah, by no means a great movie, but yeah, it was really entertaining though, and it's quite refreshing to watch something from that period that's not um, a classic or yeah. you know something quite, that you're meant to have seen. It's just sort of stock fare, isn't it? Yeah. Which is, uh, which is you know what people went to the cinema for, you know to to watch those kind of like you said before they're almost serialization so no well worth tracking down i think it's worth a watch nazi hyena dead now nobody ever claimed that life in a greek brothel would be glamorous but when in 2004's hardcore young nadia finally has enough of amongst other things her post-it note obsessed pimp and a drug dealer who communicates in the style of a horoscope she picks up with new golden girl martha who has her own plans for making a drastic lifestyle change Mixing lesbianism and firearms, is it any wonder that reality TV soon takes an interest in the runaway pair?
So we were going to review something else, weren't we? Uh, it was by the... Is it the wife of Kaspar Noé? Kaspar Noé's yeah. wife, Lucille Hadzihilovic. Uh, yeah. La Bouche de Jean-Pierre. Yeah. But uh, I watched it, sent you a text and said, you are going to hate this. <laughs> so you very kindly gave me a choice of two. Um, I can't remember what the other film was, but this... Oh, it was sitcom, wasn't it? It was the, another French film. Yeah. Yeah. Is sitcom French? Or yeah. Japanese. No, it's French. For some reason. Oh well. Francois was on. He was just a potiche ah. with the nerve. Oh right, in her in her um, Royal Tenenbaums tracksuit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I see the posters for that. But. Um, but no, this this wasn't the hardcore I was thinking of, which is the Paul Schrader thing. Um, so yeah, where had you heard of this one? I heard of it through the Last House on the Left remake. Which was directed by the same chap. The celebrated Last House on the Left remake. Is that the one with the micro? Yeah, microwave. microwave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis Iliadis, and I'd heard that his debut was much more interesting, and so I hunted it down. And I, yeah, so I've seen it twice now. I watched it when I first got it like a couple of years ago, and came round to watch it this time. And as you say, it's basically a sort of. It's a very I think it was made in 2004 was it yeah yeah so it feels slightly dated even then I think the sort of subject matter and how it's laid out it feels like it could have been made about five or six years mm. earlier because there are well there's one review on IMDB when I think someone compares it to Tarantino which is possibly a bit lazy because it's got it's a kind of um, sleazy glamorous kind of thing. yeah it's but an obvious comparison. I suppose there's a little bit of natural born killers kind of that's idea. what I was more yeah. thinking yeah, yeah. Um, that sort of pop culture references you know you got the Beverly Hills uh, pastiche yeah I mean that was, that was which a I enjoyed. really good bit yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've got these two I've got to say they're remarkably glamorous for prostitutes um, not not that I'm familiar with <laughs> the real McCoy but you know uh, but yeah we well it's probably about 10 minutes into the film after we've seen quite how wretched the life is in a brothel and then this sort of girl seems to be retreating into her dreams which is some kind of Beverly Hills 90210 or Friends style it's, kind it's, of. I'm sure it's mimicking the opening credits uh, opening titles to an episode mm. of Beverly Hills 90210 yeah. that was yeah. a bit after my time but okay uh, well I yeah. never I mean you kind of get not, the gist it's not pretty. something I watched but yeah. you know I know of it you know I was yeah, I suppose it's kind of uh, the kind of thing that Gregor Aki would have been taking the piss out of. Yeah, but doing it a lot more like. I've, it I've is. yet to uh, I've yet to enter the world of Gregor Aki. Uh, yeah, I, I know I like he's quite stuff. divisive, isn't he? Yeah, I like I like his stuff, so we should definitely do one. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, the, the wanna... Mondo boys. Did well, they it. did a pretty thorough. <laughs> I think um, yeah, Dan would be quite. Uh, he, he made Ben sit through quite a few. <laughs> well, um, is this is this another foreign language film that you? Uh, Oh God! Yes, going through my uh, (laughs) writing through my fireside with my tartan blanket over my knees (laughs) about what's happening to this country. Um, Oh, you like Munchausen? Yeah, Munchausen and well, Taylor the Fox I thought was a good piece of filmmaking, but yeah, I had some issues with quite what the morals of it were. Um, Were was I can't. Sorry, I'm going to blame the Carlsberg special brew for everything (laughs) here on in. this, no, I, I, I was. I thought this was well made. I mean, I, I'm reluctant to say I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Because it, but it was well made. 
but it was um, my major hang-up with this because I mean I don't think we have to explain the plot in too much detail two young girls they're not kind of kidnapped are they I think they do think this is going to be a good way of making they probably haven't got many other opportunities and they think this will be a good way of getting some money together um, that is set, that's what's alluded to in the yeah, narration they've answered a small it? ad and it's kind of clear what's what the situation is mm. um, yeah I don't think they're. it's not like they're being held against their will or anything in it but obviously I, I don't want to um, you know justify <laughs> the sex trade Basically, Martha, um, who's the older of the, of the girls, but not by much, is it? Probably a year, a year or something. Um, is initially quite envious of Nadia, this younger and quite androgynous-looking character. Mm. She reminded me of Simon Anstall, the comedian. Um, yeah, they basically just want to move on from that. There's a bit of a Thelma and Louise feel to it, isn't there? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I get the impression that Nadia was... She's a bit of a loose cannon. She's... Uh, um, footloose and fancy free whereas Martha's been in that life a little bit longer and she she seems very she just seems really depressed I thought Martha she's always very yeah. like I mean, she's got so that goth has, makeup yeah. style anyway although she's the one who has these Beverly Hills kind of daydreams isn't mm. it I think she's it's, it's one of those weird things when you're working in a very when I say an adult profession one that has exposed you to the realities of the world and what people are like she seems to retreat into these quite shallow little daydreams which yeah. you know she must realise aren't anything you know have no real substance to them mm. um, Nadia seems a bit more on the ball but she's a bit of a loose cannon and yeah she'll rather than just talking about doing something she'll get straight on with it and yeah things yeah, don't think it's a surprise and you can see this from the cover of the DVD things escalate to something quite violent I mean I don't want to spoil it or anything but things seem to spiral out of control but not <laughs> not incredibly not in a, a really predictable way I mean yeah obviously it's building up to something yeah when violent things happen it actually is a jolt isn't it because yeah. it's not like dun, 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 you know big build up to it it's the fact that they happen kind of very really quickly on, turning on a sixpence you know which is kind of funny because like the film that we were going to do La Bouche de Jean-Pierre is sort of a companion piece to Gaspar Noé's debut, uh, Carne, um, which has a similar kind of approach where, where violence happens so suddenly, or the editing is done in such a way that it, that makes you jump because it's really unexpected. But yeah, uh, the, the things that got on my nerves with this, watching it the second time, was in some ways was Nadia's character she was just a little bit too over the top crazy I found um, Martha a much more sympathetic character even though she seemed to be more withdrawn mm. um, well she sees Nadia as her way out almost yeah. she's kind of like a guiding figure and um, also I, was like, I found the music <laughs> a right. real pain um, in the ass because it's this sort of like post pixies again mid 90s sound <laughs> and it gets used a lot and i just find it really jingle jangle guitars is it yeah um kind of oh what did they call that whole thing shoegaze oh, right. you know like yeah. at my bloody valentine and stuff it was it's just the wrong side of that for me you were um, never a kitchens of distinction fan then no, <laughs> no. And they did, and there's a horrendous cover of uh, Dancing Queen. Well, I've got that in my notes. That was one of my favourite bits because um, <laughs> it's like sung, it's like sung by fucking Savage Garden. Do you remember those? Yeah, it's not something I'm going to be sort of uploading for my iPod anytime soon. But I'm pleased because I've always thought. 
Dancing Queen's one of the most depressing songs I've ever heard. Mm. And yet it's usually wheeled out as this thing that gets played at the weddings and um, you know hen parties and stuff. Um, Coming of age parties. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a miserable song. It always seems to me the lyrics are about someone who never was the dancing queen and yeah. is probably now too old to be the dancing queen, looking at this girl and thinking, why was that never me? <laughs> and when it crops up in this, uh, yeah, it's it's well the way the song's been done, it's not brilliant, but it does put that really melancholy kind of um, spin on it. But it has kind of a very grim dream sequence going on with it, doesn't it? Which has um, fluorescent hypodermics being used in a knife throwing. That's right, thing, yeah. With one of the girls on one of those revolving wheels you'd get at a, at a big top. So I was kind of pleased that was in there. Right. And if, if just for that, because it just felt, oh, thank God, someone else realises that <laughs> Dancing Queen isn't a happy, uh, let's all go on the dance floor, it's the end of the night kind mm. of thing. It's it's the saddest song I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I'd agree it's used well, especially for that sequence, but I, I, that rendition is just, I found it so appalling. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> know, is, it. is it telling, we seem to be talking more about this cover of Dancing Queen than the rest of the film? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but that's I what mean, I mean, it, it is very, like you said, it's very well made, I think. It, mm. it, especially like the scenes in the brothel where you've just got rows of uh, prostitutes and, yeah. hanging around. Yeah, it's like a taxi rank kind of thing. Yeah, it's it? like a taxi rank, but it, the way it's shot is like quite low angle, so it feels very closed in, and the colours are quite saturated. You know, there's there's a real kind of Polaroid look to the whole film, I mm. thought. Um, it's really stylishly done. And, yeah, I mean, you can relate to the characters to some degree. Um, like I said, I, I was sympathising more On with... Training Day? On Training... Oh, God. Yeah, nothing to do with the... Is it Denzel Washington? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Ethan Hawke. Yeah, can you imagine an, if they had to do that scene together? Oh, man. Yeah, there's an allusion <laughs> to something called Training Day, which um, you instantly think is just uh, for the pimp, the guy who runs the place, to go off and learn how to do... Um, <laughs> I was going to say double entries on his accountants, but yeah, um, yeah, something like that, something for him to learn accountancy. But yeah, it's something much, um, much grimmer than that. Yeah, if you've seen Requiem for a Dream, it's kind Oof. of halfway there. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess ultimately with this, I did think it was well made, but there was a point when I put in my notes here, we're probably three quarters of the way through the film or something, and you can see where it's going. Yeah, what it's done so far, I'm just thinking. There's no real point to this, you know. Mm. It's not. It's obviously titillating, you know. You've got these two really attractive girls. You get various kind of orgy scenes. There's that one scene when they get called off to the yeah. dinner party because there is a kind of um, oh, what do you call it? There's there is a kind of a hierarchy, which is why this pimp has his post-it note obsession. He has color color codes for the, the kind of level of job and client. And when they go off to this dinner party, the fact that you've got these girls performing while you've got dinner jacketed um, clientele, I suppose. Yeah. It did remind me of Salo or one of those. I was going to say it's decadent. a bit of a cliche, though, isn't it? It's like the bourgeois uh, is, and trampling on the uh, underprivileged. I thought say trampolining on the underprivileged <laughs> there. Because, um, yeah, that's the point when Martha goes a bit nuts. Yeah. And, um, but you're watching all this thinking, well, okay, what what's the point of all this? Because if you're going to do that, you probably better be on quite solid moral ground in what you've, why you've gone through all of that, why you've presented all of that. Sure. And ultimately, nothing much really, is there? Not really. I mean, there's like, there's like, well, there's that sort of like probably 
small <laughs> small poke <laughs> at um, society and like class system or whatever and also and you, with the media quickly, yeah. you know media but that's what I mean it was like that was done with natural born killers in mm. the mid 90s and it's nothing particularly new and that's that's why I found it a little bit uh, lacking somewhat I mean the first time I watched it I really enjoyed it I thought it's a really good stylish movie and like it was quite pacey and um, yeah I it's kind of titillating, you know, there's the violence and the sex and stuff, but this time it just didn't grab me the same way, and yeah, I started finding more more um, holes in it. I beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> than I did before. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder if perhaps we need to bear in mind that this is like a Greek film, you know, a country that's not not known for not really known for this type of movie anyway yeah I mean the only other movie from Greece I've seen is Singapore Sling which I know you've not watched oh, yet not watched it yet although again I'm, I'm sure this is just a coincidence it's one with quite a lot of fairly explicit sexual content although it's quite a bizarre movie it's uh, oh you want to see Dogtooth I saw that recently which is amazing right no I'll definitely uh, that's the I'll best Greek film it was up for an, it was Shortlisted for Academy Awards last year, I think. The American Academy Awards, yeah. not the uh, Athens. <laughs> not the Athens Academy. No, no. The Pantheon. Yeah, I just wonder if we should bear in mind, you know, that this is probably this was probably quite an audacious film well, yeah, in its home it, country. It it look it's like I, said, I think we both agree on this. It's really well made, you know. Um, you're not so keen on the soundtrack, perhaps, but yeah, it, it is good, and it does seem to have an eye on an audience. You know, it's not some ponderous. Mm. You know, meditation. Um, but it's just after all that, I mean, the, the last note I've got written down here is the cover of the DVD, which is these two girls walking away, one holding a gun, the other holding a teddy bear, just seems to perfectly sum up the entire message of the film. It's like you don't have to sit through nearly two hours no. uh, to get to that point. You can dance, you can Is that favourite part of the show? Well, it's fast become my favourite part of the show. Because you don't have to do any work for it. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's all done for us. We just read it out. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Uh, yeah, A to Z of film through midnight video. So, th not that many contributions for this show, but it's well, because of the that, recording. Yes. We are recording about forty-eight hours after our last show, so uh, was recorded. Yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but we've had a couple in the meantime. So I've from Twitter we've got uh, Adam or Adlo seventy six, and he's got a C contribution, which is C has to be Roger Corman. His filmmaking methods and marketing structure set the blueprint for the future generation. And I've got one here from our good friend Colin Waters of uh, the Scottish Review of Books. Cheers, Colin. Actually, very belated thanks to Colin for um, supplying me with Chimes at Midnight several months ago. Uh, but yeah, no, because that was a really good good print we got there rather than... There's a notoriously bad Spanish one, which is the, um, I think, the official release now, isn't it? Si. Si, si, Anyway, uh, cheers to Colin, who I only just got this this afternoon, so this is very timely uh, for the recording. Um, I've been a fan of Claws, a.k.a. Devil Bear, ever since I caught it being shown on Grampian television late night in the mid-90s. As the title suggests, the film is a rip-off of Jaws, only with a bear instead of a shark. 
In this instance, the bear has almost supernatural qualities and is recognized as a caustica, a demonic spirit, by the film's resident Native American. In most respects, the film is utter crap, from its poor dialogue to its woeful lighting, but how can you resist a film in which the monster appears to be Bungle from Rainbow? It also features a camp Michael Evis lookalike as a journalist. Thanks, Colin. Also, yeah, two great um, contributions there. Thanks, I, guys. I need to see Claws, and I totally agree with Roger Corman. I've, I've been reading a number of books recently and watched a few documentaries with him featured quite prominently. Uh, a really good one called Schlock, which is about um, <coughs> exploitation movies um, from the 50s onwards. And yeah, I mean, he really did lay it down. Yeah, because I think most of the Corman I've seen was, I think they did have a big series um, of the Corman, the Vincent Price kind of Edgar Allan Poe ones, but I'm not sure I've seen that many of his, because he must have done so much else. Yeah, there was there was something that we, oh that was it, um, when we watched Chopping Mall, which his wife produced, there's a scene from one of his, is it the the Attack of the Crab Men or something? (laughs) That sounds familiar. Yeah. But that was kind of, you know, nice... uh, is synergy the word? Because I remember Colin emailed me recently who, who wrote about Claws and he said he'd been to see um, Corman doing a little Q&A a few years back. So, uh, oh, everything everything gels. It all works out. But yeah, please uh, please keep your uh, A to Z suggestions coming. Where are we going up to now? I can't remember. Uh, let's say I'm D, lost. E, F. <laughs> F, yeah, don't go further than G. So A to F. If yes. you keep getting, get, don't worry about the... We'll have a bit of G. Air on a G string. For those junior citizens on the 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. rotation, these cartoons can be seen before they tune in to their video study council. In a polluted future sometime after 1972, where everyone is doomed to wear the same style of purple jumpsuits, the powers that be crank up the misery by declaring a ban on new births for the next 30 years, which they imagine will result in a zero population growth, or ZPG for short. But inevitably, not everyone's too thrilled with this. In particular, Geraldine Chaplin and her fertile partner, Oliver Reed. So, our second Oliver Reed film on the show. He's back, back, back. And it's still not the most typical Reed. It's not typical, and... If only we'd done Condor Man. <laughs> if only. Oh, that would have been not good. too late. Bloody not too late. That film. You heathen bastards for not entering the competition. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you have said before you had to watch this and Tarzan Triumphs last night where you were a little bit um, sh- shattered. Yeah. Did this keep you going? In the, do you remember a few shows back, Charms at Midnight, you were on your uppers, but then, the, you know, Wells, the Bard, you were reinvigorated. He did it all. He did it all. He, he boosted me like no one else can boost me. Oliver Reed and a four-foot pretend child... <laughs> Amazingly, no. No, I, I, Denmark in the smog. <laughs> it was a real struggle. This film for me. Um, are, you, are you removing the tiredness kind of uh, modifier? Yeah. You think even if you'd been, I think I would. I like the premise because yeah. it's that it's that cool kind of seventies film uh, where. It reminded me of so much stuff that was coming out at the time. So Fahrenheit four five one, Logan's Run, uh, Soylent Green, THX one one three eight, blah 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 blah. Oh, this unfortunately this doesn't come close to any of those films. It's 
It's a very dull affair. It's a bit like an episode of Space 1999, which I really loved as a kid, but I rewatched one not long ago, and oh my god, that is pretty dire. Well, all those films you mentioned, uh, something that struck me as I was watching this was, yeah, this is another 70s sort of dystopian future, and I thought... Um, there were a lot of those around, you know, in the early 70s. And I thought about it, and seriously, I couldn't think of any major science fiction film from Planet of the Apes, probably, onwards, probably until Star Wars, that wasn't just bloody miserable. <laughs> what can you think of? Because even, I mean, you've mentioned those big ones, those are ones I kind of ticked off in my head, but even other ones like The Forbin Project, that one where it's kind of now seen as a bit of a... Yeah. It wasn't a prequel to The Terminator, but it's got the idea of the two supercomputers... Um, becoming sentient and taking over the world. Science fiction at that point, and seemingly for yeah, Dark Star. All right, Dark Star wasn't dystopian, but it wasn't a barrel of laughs, was it? It was like being in a Greek brothel. <laughs> it's very funny. It's fun, yeah. <laughs> but um, it just—I really couldn't think of. I'm going to search around. I'm going to try and find an upbeat science mainstream science fiction I th- movie. I think we should get the listeners to do this. <laughs> <laughs> that was made some God. Planet of the Apes. I think that was the earliest one, wasn't it? There must be some exploitation. Charlton Heston was like there. the poster boy for it. He was yeah, a mega, mega man. man. And yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is very much in that familiar world where everything's written in that computer writing. And um, I mean, the s- stuff I've got written here is. I always thought this was a British film because I did watch this uh, probably twenty odd years ago. It was on very late night. Um, Oliver Reed, Geraldine Chaplin. You've got that setup that's familiar from I don't know THX one one three eight, but going back to Brave New World, the Huxley book, um, nineteen eighty four. But watching it this time, I thought this wasn't filmed in Britain, was it? You know, there's something very sort of you know Scandinavian about. It. I thought I was. It's filmed in Denmark. I mean, I've looked it yeah. up now. I was wondering if this is why so much of it involves studio based stuff with smog everywhere. The world's meant to have had some kind of nuclear disaster and the smog everywhere and I wondered if that was just it was filmed in one little studio and they just had to try and right. they didn't have to try and realise the future too much they could just get the old yeah. smoke generator going I just thought they didn't have much of a budget yeah yeah, basically and yeah they created these little models and then although the model works really good I, I did like the model work uh, I the, did the, the model was by Derek Meddings who's sort of very well known for um, the Jerry Anderson shows like Thunderbirds yeah. which whatever else you think of them I'm not a huge fan of Joe Anderson, but yeah, the, the model working out's great. But Meddings also went on and did a lot of the James Bond films. Um, did some really brilliant work on those. Yeah, and yeah, this yeah this regularly has these kind of shuttlecraft going o- across um, across the horizon. Yeah, like the voice. Um, yeah, you've been in this future before many times. You know, things are announced through tannoys, and yeah, the the, the it's a good thing with this film, isn't it? There's there's no title sequence to it. The title doesn't yeah, come till the very end at the top of the credits. Um, it's true because, I, because d- um, Geraldine Chapman Chaplin came on the screen and I was like, oh god, I can't remember who this oh, was. It sounds like you're quite attracted to her. <laughs> She's kind of pretty in a Karen Carpenter anorexic kind of way. Even that little mustache. Uh, I'm not. I'm not averse to a bit of muss. <laughs> I'm talking Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> I, I wasn't implying she was. Uh, um, <laughs> but I'd seen her like recently in um, a film called Peppermint Frappe. 
by one of uh, uh, <laughs> Jim. Jim's got the titters now. That's right. <laughs> Is it just the mere name of the film? <laughs> it sounds like the campest criminal mastermind in the world. It's it? actually a really dark been kind of a Bunwellian um, twisted nightmare and it is um, and she was in that she was great and I just couldn't put her who who she was and then yeah it came came up and then I was like oh yeah of course it's uh, Charlie's granddaughter daughter she, she, daughter sorry yeah, yeah. but yeah she, she bloody annoyed me in this in fact most of the characters just pissed me off completely because they reminded me of one of the places I work is in South London. In is borough, in birth control. In a borough called uh, Wandsworth. <laughs> which is basically like the most... Oh, it, it's it's just an area where everyone just cares about themselves. and It's a very English area. and Is this Yummy Mummy's territory or something? Kind of, yeah. Right. Um, well, yeah, pretty much. And these people, all they, all I hear them is moan about their neighbours, yet just want to be like all the neighbours. This is in real life. Yeah, this is real life. This is an Oliver Reed you're talking about now. Probably is as well. (laughs) But um, but they're just the most selfish bastards. And this is just what it's like on here. They're just horrendously selfish, these people. This this is a thing with the film, because it sets up that dystopian, you know, authority, doesn't give a damn about, you know, everyone's reduced to cogs and whatever. and yet you're watching this thinking it's it's kind of telling because this morning um, just before I came to work I was checking th- a, a site I really love on the internet is cracked.com which has a lot of those pop culture little essays on and lists and one was about I think it was six movie villains who were right the whole time <laughs> and it was great it did include uh, Jeffrey Jones character in Ferris Bueller so <laughs> this is, we need more people like this who actually care about their job and want to get kids into school rather than let them go off <laughs> Cause millions of dollars worth of property damage and stuff. There's Tom then, Wilkinson in there from Paper Mask. Sadly, that hasn't permeated <laughs> pop culture, but I think it did get to um, the machines in The Matrix and said, you know, <laughs> the idea is humanity has treated the machines as slaves. There's a war, the machines win, and then they allow the humans to live in this paradise kind of world. <laughs> yeah, damn you, machines, for let, you know showing us mercy. <laughs> But yeah, watching this, you were thinking, well, you know, are the authorities out of control here? You know, there's, there's clearly the world's all right. There are massive, massive holes in what the plot is here. But the idea is, populations out of control. We're gonna, we're gonna have to stop that. You know, and it, well, you know, is that for the greater a, good? For the greater good. It's mm-hmm. not like they're just trying to be um, bastards, is it? No, no, no. Well, that's the thing as well. There does, you know, there is this sort of. Just because Geraldine Chaplin gets broody, why should we all suffer on your? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, you know. She's like, she really wants to have this baby. It seems to come all of a sudden, and then she realizes the not the baby, but the 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 need and the or Oliver Reed. <laughs> and then she's aware of the consequence. I mean, it's punishable by death if you have a baby, and she's and people aware are awful fast to snitch in this society, yeah. aren't they? And so you have to, like, she's going to have to have this child underground and live, like, underground, literally underground with it. And then, you know, she has the baby and then she's like, oh, I can't live like this. I can't be down here. Do a Kodo not deliver to the uh, rusty underground yeah. of <laughs> yeah. Denmark in the future? Um, it, that just really riled me. Uh, I love it when you bring something personal to your hatred of a film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are massive problems with this. It's that uh, you'd have, th- uh, 
all right, these aren't mine. This is other stuff that I've read on reviews when people really seem to have taken this movie to task and saying, what's going on here? It doesn't make any sense. They're in a future where there's been some nuclear disasters. So where are they getting food from? Mm. Because there's no sunlight, is there? Everything's mm. smog covered. But they seem to be eating synthesized stuff because yeah. it's in tubes and that. And then there's like a scene with the the fresh. Oh yeah, that's Oliver Reed's marched. job, isn't it? He pretends to be from the past as a yeah. professionally. He's in this kind of living museum piece or something. Something people have realised immediately: banning childbirth for thirty years won't bring along, uh, won't bring about zero population growth. It will go into decline because people will die and not get replaced. But um, you know, it's a catchy title. Yeah, that's the least of the problems here. Because I mean, well, we've we've gone on, but you absolutely hit it on the uh, hit the nail on the head at the beginning. It's dull, and this is a problem with a lot of these seventies dystopian future. Okay, I mean, absolutely, I'm I'm really behind the idea of science fiction being used to try and um, say something about what's happening in in contemporary society. You know, mm. have an exaggerated version, and see how far can you go with this. But the downside of that is you have to really try hard to make it uh, something that's actually sitting throughable, which yeah. isn't a word at all. You know what I'm saying? You don't feel like you're being preached at, or um, you're just sitting through something dreary. And it's a dystopian future, and it's bloody boring, isn't it? Everyone's it is dystopian. <laughs> it's so dystopian. You've got that great setup, and like I say, good, great model work. Um, I really thought the fake children they had were great because they do look really spooky, don't they? They, they, look, they look like conventional kind of plastic dolls, but the fact they've got these electronic voices and they something uh, well, they're not electronic. They're recordings of children's voices, yeah. and they're obviously not real children. And they move. This is um, a lucky guess. It's not prescient, but they do move exactly like that Japanese robot that looks a bit like a. Spaceman. Yes, I don't know the name of it. But the it Honda got, one. Yeah, the thing with mm. the kind of permanently bent knees that just sort of ho uh, hobbles around. And I thought, wow, this is really going to go places. But after that initial ten minutes, it just nothing. You know, even Reed. I mean, Reed's not given that much to do, but um, he doesn't read. Well, yeah. this kind of. No one is really. I mean, like the dialogue doesn't seem to work. You know, the seams don't seem to um, follow on well. Uh, there's no momentum There's to it. No at momentum. Because yeah. the, the main plot, such as it is, obviously with, with the one we've described, where you know they're trying to have the child in secret. The only other kind of complication to that is you have the neighbours, um, Sean Connery's wife, um, Diane Salento. If, if I'm sure people will remember from The Wicker Man, Don Gordon, who was bugging me because I really recognised him throughout it, and he, um, I had to look him up afterwards. He's in Omen Three. He's he's at the military academy. No, he's not. He's He's in Omen 3, the military academy is in Omen 2, isn't it? He's in Omen 3 as Sam Neill's kind of um, henchman. Mm. But also, I don't know if you've watched this, sir. have you seen the Dennis Hopper movie Out of the Blue? No. Right, He's he's got a really good role in that. He's really good in that, in fact. But yeah, through that, this you would just think, oh man, I know him from, did he play Felix Leiter at some point? <laughs> yes. <thinking> throughout it. <laughs> but no, that's the major complication, is the neighbours are also, also want a kid, and you know, well... We won't go any further into yeah, the plot than blackmail ends. Yeah, eventually. But um, eesh, I don't know. Basically, this is this is a film that looked so great from the first ten minutes, and then just sort of spirals. Yeah, it doesn't even do anything as dramatic as spiraling. <laughs> flat lines, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> the it's as exciting drops. as a movie with purple jumpsuits and fog and gas masks. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, 
What a drag. Go and read a J.G. Barlow book. Oh, his house is for sale at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah, it's oh, about... Oh, in uh, Shepparton? Uh, yeah, it's about 300,000. Three bedroom. I, I might just have that in my building. <laughs> which brings us to our competition <laughs> this week. <laughs> no, oh, I wish we could offer J.G. Ballard's house. <laughs> I want that baby, and I want it now. The end of another show. Thanks for bearing with us. Uh, just before we go, um, a thanks to the guys at V Cinema, another podcast, although they specialise in Asian cinema. They do. But uh, yeah, all your Asian cinema needs. The guys at V Cinema gave us a really good shout out, so thanks very much to you guys, um, and thanks to anyone who's listening as a result of that. Actually, um, also uh, Mike and Marty from Flickers from the Cave, uh, who gave us a fantastic shout out, probably quite a while back now. Um, but they were it was a very confused one which compared us with Mr. Spock and um, uh, some kind of fantastic trailers the Turin Shroud (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I remember they were a bit miffed because we covered uh, William Shatner and Incubus ahead of them because they were hoping to cover it but I just wanted to say to you guys um, you beat us to Killdozer and without warning, we, I was really hoping to cover those, but you got in there first. So uh, swing, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> oh, you know, like, there's nothing to stop us doing that, and nothing for you guys to stop uh, to do Incubus. It'd be, it's always good to hear. I think else's. everyone out there. It's like when you know, what was it? No one, no one bought the Velvet Underground albums, but those who did all went out and formed bands. Everyone out there should go and everyone listening to this podcast should go and review Incubus. Oh, on their own podcast yeah definitely the Esperanto podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay anything else to uh, uh, just to let people know you can still get in touch with us oh, through yeah. the usual methods definitely please do yeah um, let's mix it up a bit you can go through Facebook which yeah. a lot of people don't like to do because they have a really irritating message service now <laughs> really I'm slurring my words after this Carl's <laughs> No, um, Facebook's message service used to be really simple, but I think they've introduced their own email now, and it's really difficult just to send a message to someone. But anyway, we're there, so just stick Midnight Video in. Certainly go to our website, which is midnight-video.com. And you can email us at midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at midnightvideo. And, yeah, subscribe on iTunes and... As always, it's really nice to have comments or star markings, ratings we left. We love you if you do that. It's really good because it, it genuinely gets other people interested. Yeah, it I think. helps. It helps all the way. But yeah, and Facebook, uh, we have all sorts of discussion threads on there as well. So yes, thank you for bearing with us. Uh, we're a bit frayed today because yes, we've both come straight from. Uh, We've, we've not had a nice night's sleep and chance to really organise ourselves. Yeah. But we promise the next show will be better. Uh, and oh, definitely, yeah. definitely show 18 where we're going to be doing soundtracks. So, you know, I think we did, we did a shout out on this last time. But yeah, if you've got any suggestions for the soundtrack show, anything you want to contribute to that. Yeah, or and, if, um, if you've just got a list of like your top 10 or top yeah. 5 or whatever, you know, we're more than happy to read them yeah. out and I'd love to hear what people yeah. like out there as well yeah because we, we haven't entirely got a format figured out for that show yet we've got a rough idea but yeah we'll, we'll play it by ear <laughs> yeah. okay thanks very much see you next time cheerio
love mojos and I like salsa, so you can toss up between them.